Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. I am so happy, so happy that you are here. So happy that we're in 21 days of prayer. We're seeing great things happen. Thanks to all of you that participated in the prayer service last night. Apologize. Uh, Me and my family were not able to be a part of it, but uh, of course, you know, I'm hesitant to mention situations because if I get started mentioning what we're going through, you're going through, people I care about in this devotion family and church family and my life and friends, wow, we're never going to stop. But uh, I do want to say thank you. Thank you for being a part of this, and thank you for excusing us from last night's prayer. And just believe God is at work. So join in. We're in 21 days of prayer day four, an empty place, if not for grace. I'll explain that in just a moment, but thank you for being here. Pete, Susan, Matthew, Mary, Kimberly, wow, you're the ones that make it great. Thank you for that. And so here we are, Thursday, January 14, day four, 21 days of prayer. We're tracking tracking the book on prayer devotions. And if you don't have your copy, you can pick it up on Amazon, thebookonprayer.com. And I'm touching each day on the day's devotion in the book. I try not to duplicate. It's hard. Oh, it's hard. And I hope this is meaningful to you. Great needs in our midst. So many names I could call right now. But if I started, I don't think I could stop. But you would help if you would just place those needs out to the side. We do appreciate the outpouring of love and the passing of Tessie's mom, Norma Barnett, an amazing person. She will be missed. Thank you for keeping Brother Barnett, my wife, my kids, and your prayers, our church family. It's so very, very appreciated. Later today, we're going to share some information about the memorial service. But today, an empty place if not for grace. Like, share, follow. You know the drill. Let's loop more people into this devotion. I awakened this morning, or this morning, with an old song lyric rolling over in my head, a song by Clint Brown, Where Would I Be? You Only Know. I'm glad you see through eyes of love a hopeless case an empty place, if not for grace. I I heard a story years back about that song. I really wasn't sure if it was true, just a sort of an apocryphal story. So I spent some time this morning tracking it down. And today at the close of the devotion, I want to share it with you. But just for now, I want to borrow a phrase from that song, an empty place, if not for grace. Oh my, can somebody just say amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Years back, years back, it was in a difficult moment, a challenging moment of our lives. I did a series called You Stolen My Heart. And I talked about the great love God has for us and the and the relationship he desires to have with each of us, that he longs to draw near to us, to be close to us. And I, I did a session and and I just, I, I, I don't know, just the phrase touched me 
that there is a park bench in paradise, that there is a place for you and me just to be close to him and alone with him. And some of the greatest hymns were written during the holiness era when people were trying to get close to God. And one that leaps out at me now is Draw Me Nearer by Fanny Crosby, that blind songwriter who opened her eyes to so much in God. Listen to a couple of verses of that song. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour that before thy throne I spend when I kneel in prayer and with thee, my God, I commune as friend to friend. This verse, the last verse, there are depths of love that I cannot know till I cross the narrow sea. There are heights of joy that I may not reach till I rest in peace with thee. And then that chorus, draw me nearer, nearer, blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. And so it is that we are invited into the presence of God. Yes, indeed, there are things we will not know about God until we see him face to face. But there are great secrets we can know of God if we would just be with him. In this book, in the book on prayer, I wrote into today's devotion about the trysting tent, the place that Moses set up on the periphery of the camp where people could find their relationship with God. He created a place, a space for grace. And there's one for you and there's one for me. But all too often we're addicted to busy. Oh, yeah, we are addicted. We ought to have a 12-step program for busyness. And in our busyness, can I get a witness to that? Oh, Yvette, Kathy, I just felt like I just jumped on somebody. Tim, Lisa, Kirk, I just felt like I just pounced on somebody. We are addicted to busy. I think it should be the new small group, 12 steps to rid yourself of busyness. Because in our busyness, we neglect some valuable things. Oh, I'll not forget soon a trip we made a few years back and and we had a chance to go to Ephesus, got to the ruins, were so impressed, saw the facade of that ancient library of Ephesus that held 12,000 scrolls, saw the huge amphitheater where a riot was stirred up against the Apostle Paul. Seems like Paul was always stirring up riots. Walked down the Arcadian Way, one of the only three lamp-lit streets of the ancient world, led to a a half mile to the port. But as we walked in that marble way, we didn't see any water. We found later that Ephesus was now five miles from the sea. Ephesus, once the capital city of Asia Minor, it was a major port center. What happened? Why was it five miles from the sea if it was a port? One word, silt, silt. The river connecting Ephesus with the sea carried a lot of silt. And if the city didn't regularly dredge the silt from the port to keep it clean, over time, the largest city in the area dwindled to nothing. And the reason was neglect. So busy, we couldn't dredge the channels. And the same could be said of the church of Ephesus. Do you know that many believe that Mary, the mother of Jesus, settled in Ephesus, that Timothy, later the apostle John, were pastors in the church of that city? There was so much going on for her. The church of Ephesus fell short for the same reason as the city. She neglected what was truly important, silt began to accumulate. The Bible says the risen Christ looked at Ephesus and said, you've left your first love. You know that story found in Revelation 2. 
Jesus told John, write a letter to Ephesus. He said, Ephesus, you're working hard. You're, you're hating the things that you should hate. But in your work and in your hate, you left out the most important thing. And that's loving God, loving me. And anytime we love God, anytime we love God, we find hope. But anytime we leave God, it's a hopeless case. Anytime we allow the silt of life to dredge up, we end up in an empty place, if not for grace. Oh, praise God. Oh, praise God. I I, I don't want you to end up there. I want you to find that place in paradise. We get so preoccupied, so fixated on things, we lose out on what really matters. Or Sometimes we got Martha on one side and we've got Mary on the other side and we vacillate between the both. And I, I, I sympathize with that sister of Lazarus, Martha. She was more focused on making guests feel at home, busy with so much serving. Uh, and we all do this. We get busy busy. Here I go again. I'm just meddling with people right now. James Houston in The Transforming Power of Prayer wrote that the Desert Fathers, it was a protest movement against worldliness in the early church, the Desert Fathers spoke of busyness as moral laziness, that busyness is an addictive drug, which is why its victims are increasingly referred to as workaholics. Busyness acts to repress our inner fears and personal anxieties as we scramble to achieve an enviable image to display to others. We become outward people obsessed with how we appear rather than inward people reflecting on the meaning of our lives. Through the media, we become downward people more than upward people through our daily lives, though we become more inward than outward. Modern life tends to move toward Martha more than Mary. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Martha was busy. But we need to correct this in modern life. In the midst of the hustle and the bustle of the urgent, the important goes lacking. We get so preoccupied fighting fires, we forget to light the fires within our own hearts and minds. As many of you know, we love to visit India. We were there a lot. Great challenge. Over a billion people. One of the leaders, the great leaders of the Indian church watches this devotion every morning. You'll see his name out side to side. He always greets me and we greet you, my brother, as well. One place, and everybody asks us when we go to India, we return, and sometimes we take up to several trips a year, but everybody asks us when we get back, did you go see the Taj Mahal? And I regret to say of the many, many, many times I've been to India, I have never seen the Taj Mahal. I want to. Someday I want to. It's actually a tomb, perhaps the costliest tomb ever built. So many stories, so many myths about the Taj Mahal. This may be a mythical one as well. But in 1629, when the favorite wife of the Shah died, he ordered the construction of the magnificent memorial. His wife's casket was placed in the midst of the parcel of land. The construction of the temple began around it several years into the project, so the story goes. He stumbled over a wooden box and ordered that it be discarded. It was months later before he realized that the box he ordered to be discarded was the wife's casket. That the purpose of the the memorial was actually lost in the details of the construction. And whether the story is true or not, I, I really can't say. 
But I can say we can get so busy, we overlook what is most important. And all around us are so many needs, so many requests. The email notification sounds, phone rings, Facebook beckons, Twitter is reaching for us, Instagram is demanding our attention, the mailbox beckons, the neighbors, the friends, the extended family call, clients, customers, co-workers just need 15 minutes. If I could have 15 minutes, so many demands on our time and our attention that we think is needful. But Jesus told Martha, there's only one thing that's needful. Or as Jesus said in the Moffat's translation, Martha, Martha, Mary has chosen the best dish and she's not to be dragged away from it. What really matters. Martha focused on the event. Martha Martha focused on the appearance, but it was Mary who focused on the person and on the substance. What matters more than anything in life, oh, if I could underscore this, is our relationship with God. Him first, and then those people who matter in our lives. Relationships matter. Ephesus, you're so busy working. You're so busy hating false doctrines that you forget that it's the relationship, the vital relationship that matters most. One of my favorite stories, one of my favorite stories were when the forerunner of the Blue Angels were performing in an air show at Pensacola, Florida. One of the planes developed engine trouble, caught on fire. The commander, the commander um, called out to Captain Johnny Ferrier to eject. But the pilot refused to eject, re- eject because his plane, his plane, malfunctioning plane, was pointing toward a stand with a large crowd of people. And if he ejected, him and his life would be saved, but others would be lost. So he stayed in the cockpit fighting the plane to move the plane away from the crowds before it crashed. He was a successful failure. He failed in that he crashed, but he succeeded and that only his life was lost and not many spectators. When Johnny's widow came to collect his belongings, she found the small piece of paper tucked inside of his wallet, and she showed the press that had gathered there. It was the purpose for her husband's life. She held it up. It read, God first, others second, and myself third. Myself third. You start with that third position, you put it last. Whitney Houston saying the greatest love of all is the love that you have for yourself. That's not true. Self comes last. God comes first. The most miserable people I know in the world are those who worship at the totem pole of self. They use words like I, me, mine, and myself. Me monsters are miserable people, and they make others miserable. We sing that song, I give myself away, because we know that's what really makes a person happy. It's that good Samaritan who who will ignore, who does not ignore what the priest and the Levite ignores. He sees the wounded man not as an interruption, but as a divine rendezvous, an appointment that God put on his calendar. Give yourself away. Yourself comes last. The second position is others. And after years of working with people, I've determined that we have to prioritize who occupies those others' position in our lives. We came across a story recently of a someone reminiscing about our grandparents, and they've been married for many years. They had a special game they played, and the game always involved an unusual word, smiley. It was left around the house for the other to find, and when one found it, it was their task to hide the word elsewhere. 
The word could be found traced on a dewy window in a sugar-filled canister taped inside a cupboard door. The family didn't know what it was all about, didn't know what it meant for many years. They only knew that the grandparents derived joy from hiding this word until the other found it, and they in turn would hide it again. Those grandparents were deeply in love. They checked on each other constantly. They could be found whispering stories to one another. They always held hands. He bragged on her constantly, and she looked to his every need until the day the grandmother developed cancer, and he wouldn't leave her side. And he painted their bedroom yellow so she could feel like she was outside, bathed in sunside while laying in her sick bed. Each morning, he would help her out of bed, and together they would go to the church, and they would thank God for the life they had together and ask just for a little more time, just a little more time. They continued this until she was too sick to go. Then he went alone, and finally she passed away. And people who came to pay their respects at the funeral saw a casket spray covered with pink ribbons and glittered letters on the ribbons formed the word Shmiley on each ribbon. When only the family stood around, the grandfather stepped before the casket and began to sing a love song to his beloved wife so many years. As people wiped the tears, someone finally asked, what does the word smiley mean? S-H-M-I-L-Y. He smiled and replied, we always found things to do for one another. And when we did something for them, we knew that the other person would really like it. We would leave a little note with the word smiley on it, a fixed toaster, a painted wall, made a bed a cleaned-out garage, all became the tangible ways we expressed our love one to another, smiley. He said, it means, see how much I love you. Love can be seen. But Ephesus' problem, she had neglected that most important relationship of them all, the one that comes first, God first, that relationship with God. Just as the natural city was five miles from, from the seawater, she was five miles from God. I want to remind you, I want to remind you where this all started, folks. This all started in a garden called Paradise, Eden. Before a Bible was written, before laws were chiseled into tablets of stone, before doctrines were formulated, there was an empty park bench, an empty place, a trysting tent that God created for mankind. Our creator desires a relationship with his creation. Walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, visited with them, conversed with them, until the day the park bench was empty. There's no other explanation for this than God loves you, and he desires to have a relationship with you. In Mark 3, Jesus called his disciples why did he call them? So they could turn up the world, the world upside down. Why did he train them? So they could have their names on the gates of the city. Why did he train them? The Bible says that he called them, that they should be with him. Emmanuel is God with us, but our God wants us to be with him. And from the strength of that relationship, the disciples found the strength to be ridiculed, rejected, and martyred. You see, those who fall in love with Jesus find a power that is beyond their comprehension. And it's through that love and through that relationship with him and seeking his face and drawing near to him that we find life and we find it more abundantly. I shared a song at the beginning. It's the basis of the title of this, An Empty Place, If Not For Grace. Where would I be? You only know. I'm glad you see through eyes of love. 
a hopeless case, an empty place, if not for grace. The author of that song, Clint Brown, explained its origin, that he and his leadership team, lawyers and bankers, were en route to Dallas. They booked a private plane. When they arrived at the field, the plane was missing. It had been given to somebody else, and they were upset about it because it was slightly nicer, slightly faster than the one they had been assigned. A week or so later, the plane they were supposed to take, but did not, that plane crashed in a field in South Dakota. It was the plane on which golfer Payne Stewart lost his life. It crashed after apparently losing cabin pressure, and it flew for four hours before it ran out of fuel and then hit the grounds at near supersonic speed. When Clint heard the news, gave birth to this song, a hopeless case, an empty place, if not for grace. It was grace that reached us, grace that invites us into his world. We need the grace to find that empty place and to be there with Jesus. We sang an old song years ago, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's not far from you, friend. Brother, sister, he's not a, he's at the periphery of your life. Luanda, Ernesto, Kimmy, Agnes, he's very, very close. He's so close. Close as the mention of his name, the whisper of his name. Don't let him stay in the shadows. Don't let him stay on the periphery. Make him the center of your life. Find that park bench in paradise. Find that empty place through grace and occupy it. And let the Lord be so real and so special to each one of you. Thank you again for being here and being a part of this and sharing in our morning devotion. I'm going to give you a moment, if you would, just to go out to the side and please Please listen, prayer requests. People all over the world circle back into this during all hours of this day, late into the night, and pray for these needs. And please, I urge you to encourage one another, and let's see God do some amazing things in our midst. I know he's here. I know he's close. I know there is a place for you reserved by his blood, reserved by his love, reserved by his grace. God bless you. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you again tomorrow. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.